0: Well, tonight we're going to uh, turn our Bibles, if you have a copy of God's Word, to Hosea chapter 9. We're nearing the completion of our study of this uh, Old Testament prophetic book. And I want to thank you evening uh, worship service folks for helping me with this. It's not easy. Uh, Reading and studying and preaching the Old Testament prophets... It's not easy for a number of reasons. Uh, Hosea is uh, really one of the more difficult prophetic books. Uh, It's pretty high poetry, and most of the poetic devices are actually more visible in Hebrew than they are in English, so that's challenging to us. Um, A lot of the places are unfamiliar to us. The names and so forth are unfamiliar to us. Uh, And and also, it's just difficult because uh, I think even maybe the most mature of us and most seasoned of us as believers, when we uh, think about coming again to the book of Hosea, uh, we anticipate, oh boy, we're going to hear it again. They're in trouble and judgment's coming. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of the same thing. Um, But we need to remember that this is a collection of sermons by God's prophet Hosea, over the series of his ministry and so these would have been given over many years we don't know how long God had him serve and um, of course we began the book with a very personal um, and painful illustration from Hosea's own life that his own wife was unfaithful to him as a living walking picture of Israel's unfaithfulness to God to Yahweh Israel's God. So tonight I am going to attempt to uh, tackle two chapters and uh, the reason for that is uh, not to I'm not trying to skip over or go too quickly it's just I'm conscious of the the uh, similarity of the theme and uh, and I think it's in a way better if we take it in Uh, and I want to before I read uh, I want you to listen for a a few things. Um, First of all you'll hear Israel likened uh, to uh, various uh, agricultural um, images, uh, a luxuriant vine or grapes or uh, like a a cow or uh, a heifer, uh, oxen plowing in the field. Um, Images there of God planting Israel in the promised land, but Israel proving to be deceitful in what she produced. She, she did not produce righteousness. You can listen for that. You can listen again for the theme of um, judgment coming and, and remember that the Lord has been patient. It was several hundred years that God was patient with Israel in the north and, and then a, a little bit more with Judah in the south. Uh, so there's, there is uh, some pretty vivid language uh, we'll look at this together, but also there are references to various places, and I, I'm not going to be able to explain all of them in my in my sermon tonight. But there is references to Israel's past. Uh, remember, they came out of Egypt, and you're going to hear about them going back to Egypt. Um, to hear about Assyria is um, is at this point of the of the writing of Hosea, Assyria is uh, getting to one of its its. Uh, to its strength, and they are a violent nation, and uh, that's going to be part of the judgment. It's really hard for us to hear, for us to hear uh, images of children or uh, infants even being slaughtered as part of the warfare. It's very hard for us, um, and certainly God. Uh, is not directly involved in that kind of wickedness, but it 's part of the judgment upon the whole nation and was typical of warfare in those days so so again it 's pretty heavy stuff but I want to encourage you up the front up front at the beginning of the reading that there is a glimmer again of hope there 's a promise that is in chapter ten verses eleven and twelve and and you wait for it and you 'll hear it Um, all is not bleak. And um, we want to listen as those who are in Christ. We are forgiven of our sins. We are not Israel. And we may have some of the same tendencies, but I trust we are not guilty of some of the same sins. But nonetheless, we are cautioned. And so let me read God's word. Beginning in Hosea chapter 9, verse 1. Do not be glad, O Israel, with rejoicing like the peoples, for you have played the harlot forsaking your God. You have loved harlots' earnings on every threshing floor. Threshing floor and winepress will not feed them, and the new wine will deceive them. They will not remain in the land of Yahweh, but Ephraim will return to Egypt, and in Assyria they will eat unclean food. They will not pour out drink offerings of wine to the Lord or to Yahweh. Their sacrifices will not please him. Their bread will be like mourner's bread. All who eat of it will be defiled, for their bread will be for themselves alone. It will not enter the house of Yahweh. What will you do on the day of the appointed festival, on the day of the feast of Yahweh? For behold, they will go because of destruction. Egypt will gather them up. Memphis will bury them. Weeds will possess their desirable items of silver. Thorns will be in their tents. The days of punishment have come. The days of recompense have come. Let Israel know this. The prophet is an ignorant fool. The inspired man has madness because of the abundance of your iniquity and because your hostility has abounded. Ephraim was a watchman with my God, a prophet, yet the snare of a bird catcher is in all his ways and there is only hostility in the house of his God." They have dug deep in corruption, as in the days of Gibeah. He will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the earliest fruit on the fig tree in its first season. But they came to Baal Peor and devoted themselves to shame. And they became as detestable as that which they loved. As for Ephraim, their glory will fly away like a bird... No birth, no pregnancy, and no conception. Though they bring up their children, yet I will bereave them until not a man is left. Surely woe to them indeed when I depart from them. Ephraim, as I have seen, is planted in a pasture like Tyre. But Ephraim will bring out his children for killing. Give them, O Yahweh, what will you give? Give them a miscarrying womb and dry breasts. All their evil is a Gilgal, Indeed, I came to hate them there because of the evil of their deeds. I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebels. Ephraim is stricken. Their root is dried up. They will bear no fruit. Even though they bear children, I will put to death the desirable ones of their womb. My God will despise them because they have not listened to him. And they will be those who flee among the nations." Israel is a luxuriant vine. He produces fruit for himself. The more abundant his fruit, the more altars he abounded. The better his land, the better he made the sacred pillars. Their heart is faithless. Now they must bear their guilt. Yahweh will break down their altars and destroy their sacred pillars. Surely they will now say, we have no king, for we do not fear Yahweh. As for the king, what can he do for us? They speak mere words. With worthless oaths they cut covenants, and judgment flourishes like gall in the furrows of the field. For the dweller of Samaria will fear for the calf of Beth-Avon. Indeed, its people will mourn for it, and its desirable idolatrous priests will cry out over it, over its glory since it has gone into exile from them. The thing itself will be carried to Assyria as a tribute to King Jerob. Ephraim will receive shame, and Israel will be ashamed of its own counsel. Samaria will be ruined with her king, like a stick on the surface of the water. Also, the high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, will be eradicated. Thorn and thistle will grow on their altars. Then they will say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they stand. Will not the battle against the sons of injustice overtake them in Gibeah? When it is my desire, I will chastise them, and the peoples will be gathered against them when they are bound for their double guilt. And Ephraim is a trained heifer that loves to thresh, but I will come over her fair neck with a yoke. I will harness Ephraim. Judah will plow. Jacob will harrow for himself." Sow with a view to righteousness. Reap in accordance with loving kindness. Break up your fallow ground. Indeed, it is time to seek Yahweh until he comes and rains righteousness on you. You have plowed wickedness. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of deception because you have trusted in your way, in your abundant warrior's Therefore, a rumbling will arise among your people, and all your fortifications will be destroyed, as Shalman destroyed Beth Arbol on the day of battle, when mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it will be done to you at Bethel, because of your evil of evils. At dawn the king of Israel will be completely ruined. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We need to pray and ask him to help us oh god we confess that your word the bible is all your word and we know from your servant paul that all scripture is given by you breathed out by you and is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training and righteousness we know as well that the former things were written for our instruction but you know as well that we are separated by over nearly 3,000 years from the writing of these words. Many of these places are unfamiliar to us, and we are struck by the violence of the language. We pray that your Spirit would help us, that we would not discount any portion of your word, but that we would benefit from it. Help us in these next few moments to meditate and reflect upon this section of your word so that it may be profitable and we may honor you with our lives. Amen. Well, again, tough. I want to try to orient you up front. First of all, I want to warn you against making an immediate application to to the church. I think some of you might have that kind of humble, um, sensitive uh, conscience, and you hear God's hard judgment on Israel of old, and, and you very quickly start thinking, woe is me, I'm guilty of 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 this kind of sin, well, just hold on a minute. Uh, you're probably guilty of sin, and I am too. I, I, I hope it's not at this level. Uh, I don't mean to minimize our sin, but we can't make an immediate correlation between Israel of old and the Church of today. Uh, so we're studying this. We're studying this portion of Scripture in humility. We're recognizing that uh, we are God's people, Christ's people at this time. There are things for us to learn, and we're asking the Lord to teach us. But really, our first task in studying passages like this is to do a little bit of historical study and to understand what was going on with Israel of old, what were the different dynamics, what were the places and the the nature of the sin that was going on. And only as we understand the historical situation, then are we in a place to establish timeless principles and see if the shoe fits. And of course, there is much for us here. But again, it it is with that as well that we might not make an immediate correlation or application. Uh, Another thing we do need to notice, and that is timeless, is that God takes sin very very seriously especially among those who take his name on their lips Uh, you'll notice uh, that I was reading out of the legacy standard version it's a recent uh, translation that translates the covenant name of of the Lord Uh, in your English I've said this many times for the evening service but you can check your Bible and look wherever it says capital L capital O R D all in all upper caps in the Hebrew, it actually isn't Lord, that's, that's Adonai, it's actually Yahweh. That's his covenant name that he revealed to Moses. And, and so to hear it is a little bit jarring, and it reminds us that sin against God is very personal. It's not a matter of, of just uh, a transaction. It is against, especially when we are those who bear the name of God, it is against God, and he takes it very seriously he takes very serious his worship there's a lot of references here to the false and idolatrous worship of Israel and we learn here that God is really not okay with us just doing whatever we want contrary to the common assumption today that God doesn't really care Uh, he he does care now of course Israel was given stipulations um, specific instructions under the old covenant that we are not under the sacrificial system and so forth, but the principle of being careful how we worship the Lord still applies. So these are some, maybe just some background, big picture Uh, truths that I hope will orient you to the text because it's kind of shocking you come here on a Sunday night and you know you you maybe had a nice lunch today and maybe had a little nap and you got work tomorrow and you got to go to the grocery store and you came in and wow what'd you hear about last night at church I I heard about Assyria and infants being dashed to pieces with their mothers and what, what what does your church teach right but this is God's word and we dare not neglect it, and we must apply ourselves to it. So how do we approach this? Let's try to look at the, at the natural breaks in the text, if you will, and I'll try to help you with that tonight. First, in chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, that's the first section, chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, and here God is again rebuking Israel and and he's rebuking Judah too in the south, but particularly Hosea's Hosea's ministry was particularly to, primarily to the ten tribes in the north, Israel. And we have been studying Second Kings prior to this uh, study, and we have learned that the kings of Israel in the north uh, just go from bad to worse. And so because of their uh, idolatry, because of their worshiping the two golden calves at Bethel and Dan, and because of their spiritual harlotry, and in some uh, often cases, actual physical adultery, prostitution, in the name of worship, God is going to judge Israel. So in verses 1 through 9, you might call it back to the bad old days, Sometimes we use that phrase back to the, they were the good old days. Well, God's judgment is he's going to have them revisit the bad old days. There are several references here in verses 1 through 9 to Israel's past because of their idolatry. For example, verse 6, Egypt will gather them up. Memphis will bury them. Well, they, they or, or verse three, Ephraim will return to Egypt. Wow. So God brought them out of Egypt, out of bondage in Egypt. And one of their judgments is God's going to send them right back. And so they're going to go south to Egypt and not only to Egypt, but verse three. And in Assyria, they will eat unclean food. In other words, you don't want to follow my laws. You don't want to follow my um, my prescriptions for worship okay you'll eat unclean food you just won't eat it in your home you'll eat it in assyria and of course in 722 bc we know not only from the bible but but from numerous um, archaeological finds some of the greatest and archaeological evidence that we have in in modern times you can go to the louvre in france and and the british museum And you will find uh, artifacts of the Assyrian Empire at this time. And, for example, there's a relief that describes, um, that that shows uh, some of Assyria's uh, overwhelming uh, portions of Israel and their violence. And so this is known in history. This really happened. And in 722, that was it. Uh, The curtain was down for Israel in the north. In terms of Assyria came in and ran over the entirety of the northern uh, tribes and took out their capital city in Samaria and hauled off, apparently, their golden calves to Assyria. So, so it's back to the bad old days. It's, it is frightening. God's judgment is very just. Um, you, he, in a sense, gives, gives them what they want, And he sends them back where they came from. Very frightening. Um, And so uh, they will be sent out of the covenant land. And they will be sent to Assyria and to Egypt. They will be scattered. And to this day they are scattered. There are certainly in modern day Israel uh, various people from those various tribes uh, in Israel in the north but but folks don't know really what tribe they're from at this point only God knows and so it was a devastating judgment so back to the bad old days a judgment in verses 1 through 9 then in verses 10 through 17 there's an emphasis on on uh, no more multiplication no more multiplication I'm sorry I need to back up I forgot a very important um uh Reference in the in the battle days. Sorry, we have to go back to the battle days, and then we'll get to second. Uh, not only are they going to go back to Egypt, but there's a reference here in verse ten. They have, I'm sorry, verse nine. They have dug deep in corruption, as in the days of Gibeah. The days of Gibeah. Oh, come on, now days of Gibeah. What's what happened in Gibeah? Hmm. Well, in the days of the Judges, in Judges 19, we're told that there was a certain Levite, and he had a concubine, and he was traveling. Remember this story? And, and it was getting late, and he didn't want to stay in where the Jebusites were in Jerusalem at that time. Jerusalem wasn't conquered by David yet. This is before David, the days of the Judges. And so they said, no, we'll go to an Israelite town. We don't want to stay with those pagan Jebusites. We'll go just a few miles north before the sun goes down. We'll go to a town, Gibeah. They go to the town square, and it was just understood that uh, travelers would receive hospitality. An old man comes into town from from out of the field, and he essentially says, whatever you do, do not stay out here in the public square. The old man knows what kind of characters are in the town. And then, of course, that Levite is, uh, the old man receives the Levite into his home. This is in Judges 19 and the men of the town in Gibeah start pounding on the door like the men of Sodom had pounded on the door of Lot. It's almost identical, word for word, scene for scene, what happened. Israel, by the days of the judges, had become so evil and so corrupt that they were like the Sodomites. Verse 9 of Hosea, this is hundreds of years later. This is after Saul and David and, and then all the kings of Israel. All these years later, God says they've dug deep in corruption as in the days of Gibeah. And God will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. That's how bad things were in the north. So it's back to the, I mean, the bad old days were really bad. And that's the judgment. Verses 10 through 17, no more multiplication. Of course, one of the uh, promises of blessings to Israel, if they kept the covenant... If they, if they trusted in God and, and sought earnestly to obey his law, God promised blessing. And one of the, the core blessings was God would multiply uh, their children, that they would multiply as a nation. And that was a blessing, that God would cause them to be fruitful and multiply. But here in verses 10 through 17, we, we learn, especially through 14, that God would reverse that blessing. In fact, he would curse them by by removing their children from them. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And uh, we're always horrified when we hear scenes of violence against children in the Scriptures. And I think we should take comfort that, um, and and I mean this seriously, uh, that those little ones, I I believe... Because of their innocence, and because of the biblical pattern of everyone who's judged gives account for their deeds done in the body, well, these little innocent ones they didn't have any deeds. I, I personally, I believe that those little ones went to be with the Lord, which was a far better uh, 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 prospect than growing up with the kind of characters of parents that they had in Israel at that time. But it is a, it is a frightening judgment. No more multiplication. Well, then thirdly, um, in chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, we'll spend a little more time here. God gets, uh, he describes Israel as a luxuriant vine. Um, Israel had been blessed. God had brought them into the promised land. It was a land that was very productive. Even to this day, Israel is, is very productive in in sections of the land. and But the more that, Israel was blessed and was able to produce crops and so forth instead of turning to the Lord they just became inflated in their own heads and hearts and multiplied false worship the better his land the better he made the sacred pillars and those sacred pillars weren't the pillars of the Lord they were the places of worship that the people thought were trendy and hip and cool and everybody liked they were they made God in their own image and they worshiped God the way that they wanted, in direct violation against the opening commands of the Ten Commandments. And so, uh, God is going to break down their altars. If we can look in this section, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. First of all, in verses 1 to 3, God says, no more cultic worship. Uh, We tend to think of of cult as a purely bad term, but uh, in in academic circles, cult just means worship, but, but no more cultic worship. In other words, God's going to remove, in, in modern terms, God's going to remove the churches, God's going to remove the pulpits, God's going to remove the pianos, the organs, the musicians, God's going to remove it all. He just, he's going to be so fed up with the false corrupt worship, he's just going to remove it all. We see this happening at the present time in England with the, for example, Anglican church beautiful, massive, ancient cathedrals. Empty. Empty. And increasingly just given over to uh, meetings for uh, the local muffin club. It's not just in England, though, is it? It's here in New England, all around. These, These white Old New England, beautiful churches, and not many of them anymore have actual true, vibrant preaching of the word of God or worship. A few do. Frightening. So God himself was going to, he was so sick of it, he was going to take out Israel's false worship centers. So no more cultic worship, verses 1 to 3. Secondly, no more king no more king, verse 3. Surely now they will say, we have no king. Now, wait a minute. Uh, all we've been learning about in First and Second Kings, Second Kings especially, is one king after another. Ever since Solomon and then after Solomon, Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the nation split, we've just been hearing about one king after another in the north. I mean, it seems like they got plenty of kings. You mean there's not going to be a king in Israel anymore? Nope, God's going to remove them. No more king. And they are actually going to say, we have no king. And the people are going to say, for we do not fear Yahweh. At least they're going to be honest. They don't fear God. And as for the king, what can he do for us? (laughs) What a reverse. What a reverse. Do you remember back before the days of Saul, the days of Judges, when they said to Samuel, we want a king. We want a king. That's kind of what they said. Actually, it was more whiny. We want a king. We want a king like the other nations. We, we don't want God, this king that we can't see. We want a king that we can see. That's really what it was like. You, check me out. Go look at 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. That's what they were like, their attitude. And, and they were rejecting God, and God told Samuel that. God said to Samuel, don't worry, Samuel. It's not your problem. It's not your ministry. It's, it's not because of what you're doing. They had not rejected you. They've rejected me. So back then, they wanted a king because they thought, oh, a king is our hope. They, they didn't trust the true God. They they wanted a king. But now, after all these years, after all these different kings, they've come to the place where, you know what, who needs a king? Oh, this is so prophetic. The modern church, or the church really, in, in, in the last century, in, in the century of, of we can do it, that's what we've been like, especially here in the West, we can do this. God, we appreciate your word, but we can figure it out. We can take it from here. And we know what we need for pastors. I mean, we need really good-looking guys. We need guys who are charismatic. We got guys who are, we need guys who are businessmen. That's what we need. We need, we need I mean, if, if they know the Bible, bonus. But if they can really sell something, that's what we need. We need visionary leaders. Uh, this is what we've been saying for a long time now. And people have been starving for the word of God, and it's interesting. In some places, churches are coming to the place, you know what? We don't really need a pastor anymore. All we get is problems from pastor teachers, and we go from wanting these 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 super duper duper pastors to eh, you know, who needs a pastor? I don't know. Maybe that's a bad. Uh, maybe that doesn't fit. Uh, you can you can check that out yourself. But but just the judgment and the, the tragic irony that they once wanted a king, but now they've had enough kings and they have no king, and, and they come to the place where ah, and there's nothing a king can do for us anyways. So no more cultic worship, no more king, and then in verses four through seven, no more calves. No more calves. Now, these are not cute calves. I, I uh, uh, we are divided in our household for the most part over one over one issue. Uh, maybe you can help us with this. Uh, we, we Chris and I are a little bit divided over what's the best way to come to church. Uh, she goes south around the mountain Plaza Hill, and I go I go north. And I go around cross country road, and I admit her ways are just about mm, 20 seconds faster maybe it's because she's faster uh, but I don't know just saying uh, but I like to go it goes past Alex's road there I was behind Alex on the way to Sunday school this morning I was late and uh, but anyways and uh, Alex was going a good speed um, but but the reason why a real reason I like to go cross-country road even because of the dirt and potholes is on the way I see little cute little black calves uh, I like to see the cows and uh, it's pretty neat. I can see calves on the way to church. I can see cows on the way back from church, and I just enjoy it. There's something just pleasing about looking out of a field and a little calf chewing on grass. Uh, so where was I going? What was the point here? Oh, these aren't, these aren't cute calves. <laughs> these calves, these calves, verse 5 of Beth-Avon, they're not, they're not cute calves. These are those golden calves that Israel had made in the north. Now, now remember, do you remember back in in the Exodus in the, in the wilderness? What did Israel do? And Aaron made for them two golden calves, and he said, "Israel, here is your gods. Here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt." Well, many years later, of course, uh, Israel had apparently thought it was a good thing to try that again, and so the 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 highlight of their worship they had little worship places all over the place you know we need to be up to date with the times and and make worship convenient for everybody Um, got to have altars on every hill and it's kind of like online worship you know I mean you know we just got to meet the demand and so uh, they had worship centers all over the place contrary to God's word but especially the highlight of their worship centers were these two two locations one in the south um, Bethel and one in the far north at Dan, and um, they were golden calves. And oh, did God despise these golden calves? And God was going to take them. And in fact, Assyria, verse six, the thing itself, God calls it one of the calves. This this solid gold calf or whatever this is, covered with gold, is going to be taken by the Assyrians, and uh, it will be ruined. And, and interesting, God, instead of Bethel, uh, Bet in Hebrew is house El-God, house of God. Um, you remember when Jacob was fleeing Esau and he called that place Bethel, house, house of God. Well, God here calls that place where the golden calf is now, house of trouble, Aven. God is mocking them and saying, yeah, Bethel is a house of trouble. It's no longer a a house of God. God disassociates himself with that place. So no more worship, no more calves, no more king. And fourthly, in these 10 verses, no more cover. No more cover. Verses 8 to 10. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel will be eradicated, verse 8, thorn and thistles will groan on their altars, they'll say to the mountains. So God's going to take their really um, uh, flashy worship centers and make them grow thorns and thistles. That's a real warning. We want to be faithful to the Lord and uh, we know, I mean, we're just, we are just—we are so thankful for this meeting place, and that's what it is. It's a meeting place uh, where we can meet for the worship of God. But the moment that this church stops reading and preaching the word of God and preaching the true gospel, uh, it's just going to be a place that grows thorns and thistles ultimately. And again, sadly, we're seeing that all over New England. Well, God's going to remove and, and those places of worship, but then they're going to try to, when the judgment comes and Assyria comes, they're going to say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills fall on us, but of course it's not going to work. They're not going to be able to hide, so there's not going to be any cover. There's not going to be any place they can hide. And God says from the days of Gibeah, again referencing that infamous occasion uh, in Judges 19, which led to war, civil war in judges 20 um israel is going to be overtaken god will chastise them and they are going to be bound for their double guilt verse 10 so there is trouble coming a judgment coming from the lord well this has been rather uh, depressing um and and but what why does god do this i mean what's his heart um uh, Is he just bent out of shape? Of course not. It's not possible for God to be bent out of shape. He's holy. Everything he does is straight and in a line with his eternal good character. So he is doing this first for his own glory. He will not share his glory with another... And he will not allow his glory to be trampled underfoot like manure. But he's doing this also. He's sending Hosea. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to give a walking illustration of Israel's unfaithfulness. Why is he sending Hosea to say such strong words to them? Because he wants them to repent. Verses 11 and 12 verse 11 is another little just a little window of hope it's a reminder that though god is going to judge israel and judah that god has promised by his own name that israel and judah will have a future and so as as unwieldy as unyielding as ephraim and judah have been one day god will harness ephraim and judah and ephraim that jacob it's another name for ephraim in the north will in that day submit to the yoke of the lord it's coming it's coming you want to count on it when you will see a remnant of israel and judah in the last days under king jesus when they will bend their neck not stiffen it anymore and will serve the Lord and do his bidding. Uh, I haven't been to a fair in a while. I'm hoping to get to the Deerfield Fair this year. and um, uh, We know the leaks are going to be there, and so you might want to stop by and say hello to their ministry. But one of the things that fairs I enjoy the most is if there's oxen around, I I like to see those teams. That is just, to me, one of the most amazing things. That someone can take two animals, whether small or large, and train them to turn and to respond to their voice. It's just amazing. And it's not, a, it's not an image of um, cruelty or tyranny. God loves his people. And the picture here is, finally, Judah and Israel in the last days will yield to the Lord And so here's a verse 12, a call to repentance. So with a view to righteousness, reap in accordance with loving kindness. That's that Hebrew word hesed, that covenant love. Break up your fallow ground. Indeed, it is time to seek Yahweh until he comes and rains righteousness on you. That's not that's not an if in case he comes and rains righteousness on you. No, it is time to seek the Lord, and it is always time to seek the Lord. It's time for us here tonight to seek the Lord, to seek him earnestly. But for Israel, and, and, and until he comes and rains, what a beautiful picture of, of righteousness, like, like a soaking rain just, just coming down. We had one of those days this past week, I can't remember which day it was, where in the forecast it was only supposed to rain like something like 0.08 inches of rain, like hardly anything. Well, go figure, they were wrong. And that morning, uh, that rain was just, it was a light rain, but it was just like almost like the air was water. You know know what I'm talking about? It just saturated the ground. I watched my grass just, just growing an inch a minute, you know, just... Just saturated with that. And the idea here is the day is coming when Christ returns, when the righteousness of God is going to be like a, a, a gentle ground saturating rain. It's coming. And so it's time to seek the Lord. Well, it returns in verses 13 to 15 to a summary of the judgment that's coming. Assyria is going to come. Israel's trusted, verse 13, and her abundant warriors. That's a bad idea because uh, Israel is going to destroy, I mean, Assyria is going to destroy them. Apparently, this, this Beth Arbol was uh, some kind of town that had already been destroyed. And God says, yeah, you remember that? That's what the whole nation's going to be like. And uh, this tragic scene of, 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 these, of even the citizenry being slaughtered. And the dawn, at dawn, verse 15, the king of Israel will be completely ruined. And, of course, that happened in 722 B.C. It happened. So what are we to make of this? Well, I think some of the themes are common themes when we study the Old Testament. God is good and holy. His love is a holy love. His love and his holiness aren't at odds. His love is a holy love, and that wakes us up. Wow, I I need to take God and his glory and his holiness seriously. Uh, We certainly uh, want to take seriously the right worship of God. And and what does God look for? Well, he he looks that we worship him according to his word, that we worship him with our heart and with sincerity. He's, He's not into mere form he wants the heart and we should take hope that even though God at times sometimes has to rebuke his people severely not even the sin of Israel even those golden calves can thwart or set aside the irrevocable covenant promises of God that he will restore his people and one day rain righteousness on us. So take heart, dear ones. Let's pray. Oh God, we fear you. Uh, These portions of your word make us tremble a little bit. And uh, we're reminded of what our Lord Jesus bore in himself on the cross. Uh, What a cost was the ransom to buy us out of the slave market of sin, that, the wages of sin that we had earned. We pray that we would individually and as a church fear you with a, a loving fear, a, a fear that's not a terror, but a, a fear that loves your holiness, loves your character, loves your worship. Pray that we would be jealous for your name, that we would not give in to the fleshly desires of our hearts, but deny them and humbly submit to your, your kind yoke. You, Lord Jesus, invited us to come to you, we who are weary and heavy laden. You told us your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So, Lord Jesus, our King, we come to you and we pray, rule over us and we ask this because no one but you can. And we pray that you would do this not only by the, the, the fearful warnings of your word, but by softening and warming our hearts to the glory and the goodness of who you are. May your church, may this church, and, and wherever there are true gospel churches found in this region... May in these dark days, may you find us increasingly turning from sin and sincerely turning to you in love. May it be so, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.